the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer. Also on podcasts everywhere, Facebook Live, YouTube, and www.talklawradio.com. Today, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court and the decisions and opinions that they made recently because all the media I've seen, read, and heard talk about the political implications of each decision. But I want to talk about the details of the decisions themselves so that you understand how the Supreme Court came to the decision that they did. And there are hidden legal issue blind spots there. Uh, But first, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day, and thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about the law on the radio. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing, and failing to do your will. Please help me give good information to the listeners about judicial rulings of the United States Supreme Court today. Help us use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. So ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court and the opinions that they made recently, and specifically some hidden legal issue blind spots about getting into college without affirmative action, being an artist, running a business, and free speech. We'll talk about sinners and saints, and then we have a special bonus episode for you that will be coming out soon, a deep dive into the structure of the Supreme Court and how it is uh, one of the three branches of government and how it is uh, holds a special place uh, balancing power. Our new sponsor is HQ Financial Planning HQ. If you're looking for true financial planning to help you make the best decisions about your money instead of just trying to buy overly complicated financial products, Financial Planning HQ focuses on creating comprehensive strategies that give you and your family the highest probability for achieving your goals. For a complimentary consultation with Joseph Warren at Financial Planning HQ, call 210-748-6699, 210-748-6699. With a plan, yes, you can. We're going to start out with the 14th Amendment. So the our Constitution is the primary law of the land, and we started out with 10 amendments to the Constitution, but there have been others. The 14th Amendment is all about equal protection of the law. It says, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, 
nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of laws. Before the passage of the 14th Amendment in 1869, the provisions of the Bill of Rights were only applicable to the federal government. Well, the the reason I'm bringing up the 14th Amendment is because we're going to be talking about affirmative action and university admission policies. So the question many people are asking is, why does this apply to universities? Justice Gorsuch said, Title VI says, No person in the United States shall, on the ground of race, color, or national origin, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So here's the key. Universities have to follow the Equal Protection Clause in the 14th Amendment because or if they receive federal financial assistance, like financial aid like the Pell Grant. The Equal Protection Clause operates on states, does not purport to regulate the conduct of private parties. But Title VI applies to recipients of federal funds, covering not just many state actors, but many private actors too. In this way, Title VI reaches entities and organizations that the Equal Protection Clause does not. Title VI bears independent force beyond the Equal Protection Clause. So there you have it. Um, In another opinion, uh, the court said that uh, the Equal Protection Clause and Title VI mean the same thing. As a result, for over four decades, every case about racial preferences in school admissions under Title VI has turned into a case about the meaning of the 14th Amendment. One blogger said that the tests under Title VI and under the 14th Amendment have been understood as identical. He said private universities like Harvard are not subject to the 14th Amendment, but Title VI applies the same test to private universities that receive federal funds. Another commentary said, Harvard as a private university is not explicitly regulated by the 14th Amendment. Instead, the case against Harvard relies on Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits any entity receiving federal financial assistance from discriminating on the basis of race, color, or national origin. Supreme Court has held that Title VI protections match those of the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. And thus, the analysis is identical. So we've been talking about the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And the reason is because of the recent Supreme Court opinion about affirmative action. In order to understand affirmative action, I think we should go back to Brown versus Board of Education. It was a Supreme Court case that overturned the separate but equal doctrine. The separate but equal doctrine in educational facilities was ruled to be inherently unequal, violating the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. The Supreme Court held that the separate but equal facilities are inherently unequal and violate the protections of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. The court reasoned that segregation of public education based on race instilled a sense of inferiority that had a hugely detrimental effect on the education and personal growth of African-American children. Much of the opinion was based on uh, social science studies rather than court precedent, but the decision used language that was relatively accessible to to non-lawyers. So Brown versus Board of Education was a a case arising in Kansas, South Carolina, Virginia, Delaware, and Washington, D.C., relating to the segregation of public schools on the basis of race. 
In each case, African-American students had been denied admittance to certain public schools based on laws allowing public education to be segregated by race. It was argued that segregation violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. This was all based on Plessy versus Ferguson, which was uh, the case that allowed separate but equal. So we've been talking about 14th Amendment, Civil Rights Act, uh, because we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court case about affirmative action. If you have an opinion about this, if you have strong feelings on whether this was a good outcome in the Supreme Court or not, give me a call at 210-308-8867, 210-308-8867. Let me know how you feel. We'll have an honest and civil discussion. If you say any bad words, you'll probably be dropped from the call. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or MarquardtLawFirm.com. 930 a.m. The answer. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Markport on 930 a.m. The answer. Facebook Live, YouTube, and podcasts everywhere. Call us at 210-308-8867 if you have strong feelings about the recent Supreme Court case called Students for Fair Admissions versus President and Fellows of Harvard College. It was just recently decided. I also want to mention our new sponsor, Financial Planning HQ. Are you looking for true financial planning to help you make the best decisions about your money? Instead of trying to sell you overly complicated financial products, Financial Planning HQ focuses on creating comprehensive strategies that give you and your family the highest probability of achieving your goals. For a complimentary consultation with Joseph Warren from Financial Planning HQ, call 210-748-6699, 210-748-6699. The Supreme Court case that was just decided, Students for Fair Admissions versus President and Fellows of Harvard College, is just the most recent Supreme Court case about affirmative action. In order to understand what's been happening with affirmative action, I want to take you through a trip in history. In Regents of University of California versus Bakke was a case where Ellen Bakke was rejected twice from the medical school at the University of California, Davis. He was why and he argued the school's affirmative action policy to reserve 16 out of 100 spots for qualified minority students violated the equal protection clause as well as the civil rights act of 1964 the supreme court ruled that the racial quota system used by the university did violate the civil rights act so in that case we learned that universities could not have a quota system and let, let me just explain another principle of constitutional law here. We have an, an amendment, the 14th Amendment. It specifically says that laws have to be applied equally to everybody. Well, if you apply uh, policies such as admissions policies unequally because you want to diversify your student population, well, that violates the Equal Protection Clause. But there was an exception. 
you could uh, racially diversify your student population. That was an exception to the law. But you had to follow certain parameters in creating those exceptions. And and so the the courts would always look at they would strictly scrutinize the policy or the law in question. That's called strict scrutiny. Race could be a narrowly tailored factor in admissions policies. Racial quotas, however, went too far. So that's one of the standards is that the policy has to be narrowly tailored to a compelling state interest. And back in 25 years ago, the, the court said that the state did have a compelling interest to diversify student populations at universities. So that's why discrimination was allowed. Okay, let's. that case was dated in 1978, and that, and that was the rule until 2003. In 2003, Barbara Grutter, a white woman who was denied admission to the University of Michigan Law School, said that the school had used race as a predominant factor for admitting students. The court ruled that the admissions decision was based on multiple factors and that school could fairly use race as one of those factors. So the the case reaffirmed the court's position that diversity on campus was a compelling state interest. That same year... There was another case about Gratz versus Bollinger. Jennifer Gratz and Patrick Homaker, both white, were denied admission to the University of Michigan. They argued that the point system used by the admissions office was unconstitutional. Students who were part of an underrepresented minority group automatically received 20 points, in a system that required 100 points for admittance, which meant that nearly every applicant of an underrepresented minority group was admitted. The Supreme Court ruled that the point system was unconstitutional. And so we we had all these uh, universities trying different things to create a diversified student body, the quota system was not allowed. The point system was not allowed. Um, but you could use race as a factor. So that those were the, the rules until 2016. There was a case about Abigail Fisher, a white woman who was rejected from the University of Texas. There was a two-part admission system which took race into consideration. The university first admitted roughly the top 10% of every in-state graduating high school class, a policy known as the 10% plan, and then would review several factors, including race, to fill in the remaining spots. The court ruled that the university's policy met the standard of strict scrutiny, and the school could be given reasonable leeway in its review process. So that was part of uh, the decisions up to this point. And that brings us to year 2023 in the case of Students for Fair Admissions versus President and Fellows of Harvard College. The question was, could race be used as a factor in admissions? And another question was, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act bans race-based admissions that, if done by a public university, would violate the Equal Protection Clause. Is Harvard violating Title VI, penalizing Asian-American applicants, engaging in racial balancing, overemphasizing race, and rejecting workable race-neutral alternatives? So remember, if you're taking notes about constitutional law, there are several things you need to keep into mind. The 14th Amendment, Civil Rights Act, Brown versus Board of Education, and then these Supreme Court decisions. 
And what what the court is saying today is that eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it. Distinctions between citizens solely based on their ancestry are by nature odious to a free people whose institutions are founded upon doctrines of equality. Racial and ethnic distinctions of any sort are inherently suspect. But there was the exception that you could have a policy or a law that discriminated, but it would be strictly scrutinized, and there had to be a compelling state interest, and the use of race had to be narrowly tailored to uh, achieving its goal. So let's talk about what the admissions policies were. At Harvard, each application for admission was initially screened by a first reader who assigned a score in each of six categories, academic, extracurricular, athletic, school support, personal, and overall. For the overall category, a composite of the five other ratings, a first reader can and does consider the applicant's race. Harvard's admissions subcommittees then reviewed all the applications from a particular geographic area. The regional subcommittees make recommendations to the full admissions committee, and they took an applicant's race into account. Then the full admissions committee began deliberations. It discussed the relative breakdown of applicants by race. The goal of Harvard's policy was to ensure there was no dramatic drop-off in minority applications from the prior class. An applicant receiving a majority of the full committee's votes was tentatively accepted for admission. At the end of this process, the racial composition of the tentative applicant pool was disclosed to the committee. The last stage of the process was to winnow the list and to arrive at a final class. So the the cuts at this stage were placed at the top of the LOP list, which contained four pieces of information. Legacy status, recruited athletic status, financial aid ability, and race. In the Harvard admissions process, race is the determinative tip for a significant percentage of all admitted African American and Hispanic students. So we'll see whether that was uh, narrowly tailored to a compelling government interest. The other part of this case was University of North Carolina's policy. In their process, there was similar. There were categories. There was race. But here's where it differed. Someone would receive a plus depending on the applicant's race. Okay, so that's really the only thing that was different there. And so the the court held that they remembered from the Grutter decision, which was 2003, 20 years ago, the Grutter decision, the court wrote that there would be a final limit on race-based admissions programs. At At some point, the court held they must end. It said, recognizing that enshrining a permanent justification for racial preferences would offend the Constitution's unambiguous guarantee of equal protection, the court expressed its expectation that in 25 years, the use of racial, racial preferences will no longer be necessary to further the interest approved today. So it's been 20 years since then, and the court ultimately held that 20 years was enough time for racial inequalities to be evened out. Remember, we talked about strict scrutiny. Any exceptions to the Equal Protection Clause's guarantee must survive a two-step examination known as strict scrutiny. Whether the racial classification is used to further compelling government interest 
and whether the government's use of race is narrowly tailored to achieve that interest. Student body diversity was decided to be a compelling state interest in in that case, Grutter, back in 2003, 20 years ago. Those limits intended to guard against two dangers, that all race-based government action portends. The first was the risk that the use of race will devolve into illegitimate stereotyping. Admission programs could not operate on the belief that minority students always or even consistently express some characteristic minority viewpoint on any issue. The second risk was that race would be used not as a plus, but as a negative to discriminate against those racial groups that were not the beneficiaries of the race-based preference. We've been talking about the affirmative action case in the Supreme Court. If you have feelings about that, strong feelings one way or another, give us a call at 210-308-8867. we got to take a break, but we'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt. We've been talking about the Supreme Court of the United States and some recent opinions that they just made. And uh, during the break, we had a caller call in, and uh, we're going to answer or listen to his feelings live on the air. Art, you're live. Hey, uh, I'm from here in San Antonio. My family goes back 355 years with the Spanish land grab people. And I think the fairest thing you can do to everybody, for everybody, is have a quota system. If there's 51% of Anglos in San Antonio, then 51% of the Anglos should be in the police force, in the state bureaucracies, the state schools, the state hospitals, uh, the, the county, everything. If there's 17% Hispanics, uh, then there should be 17% Hispanics. And if there's 13% blacks, then there should be 13% blacks in everything the police force as much as they can and you can't always do it you can't always get to it you can't always find somebody with degrees but you try to put as uh, that percentage of the population in any company in anything well you know you could maybe stay away from the companies but especially in the the, the government positions i see you're talking about the government positions and having a, a percentage based on the population of, of each race filling those roles. Um, well, also, also, also in the school entry, too. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, all the students have like about a 50% dropout rate. They go into the school, they accumulate huge debts, and then uh, they have to try to pay for it afterwards, and whether, whether they're successful or not. Uh, again, uh, it, it really doesn't bother me one way or another, but the minorities are going to drop out faster than the Anglo kids. The Anglo, Anglo kids are usually better prepared for college. Yeah, that's an uh, unfortunate reality. Hopefully that will change in the future. Thank you for calling in. All right, love your show. Bye now. Okay, so uh, that was uh, Art's opinion on affirmative action and how it could be expanded across uh, government uh, programs and organizations. Um, I need to talk about saints and sinners now. Remember Martin Luther, the theologian who nailed his 95 thesis to the church door in 1517, said, The saints are sinners too, but they are forgiven and absolved. I love that song. Now, this is going to push somebody's button. This is going to be a sore spot, but I have to say it anyway. The Bible says that we should pray for our enemies. I imagine how difficult it would be to pray for the Lord to forgive the following sinner. Patrick Cruzius, 
the federal district court sentenced him to 90 consecutive life sentences for the murder of 23 people at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, on October 10th, 2019. What's interesting is this sentence is for the nearly 50 federal hate crime charges that he was facing, but the state of Texas has not tried him yet for under state law. He can be tried in both federal court and state court. So uh, that's the center for this week, and uh, I'm I'm sorry for the the loss of those 23 people and their families. Uh, Hopefully they will find peace that passes all understanding through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We give thanks for the following saints, Dr. Chris Plochet, Dr. Fred McCurdy, and Dr. Robert de Limos for founding Camp Camp. Camp for Children's Association for Maximum Potential is located in Centerpoint, Texas. It's a camp where people with medical conditions or disabilities can embrace the summer camp experience. I read about it in San Antonio's business journal, Rancher's Legacy Special Edition. Check it out. Okay, I want to mention just a few more things about the uh, affirmative action case. Um, the the court did find that those admissions policies were unconstitutional because uh, it was uh, discriminatory and because the Grutter opinion 20 years ago said that uh, affirmative action would have to change someday. And so the court on June 30th, 2023, decided that that was the end. Now, the, the court went on to say that race could be a factor, but you couldn't use a point system, you couldn't use quotas or anything like that. So we think that the hidden legal issue blind spot here is that if 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 you feel like your race should be a factor, then they're going to give you an opportunity to write an essay about it, about how uh, the the race racial inequality has affected you in in your life and how it how it should help you um, get admitted to school. We'll see how that plays out. The next case that I want to talk about is uh, 303 Creative LLC versus Elenis. It's the free speech case. First, I want to talk about the First Amendment. The First Amendment provides that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting its free exercise. It protects freedom of speech, the press, assembly, and the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so the 303 Creative LLC case, the issue was whether applying a public accommodation law to compel an artist to speak or stay silent contrary to the artist's sincerely held religious beliefs violates the free speech or free exercise clauses of the First Amendment. The other question was whether a public accommodation law that authorizes secular but not religious exemptions is generally applicable, and if so, whether the court should overrule the prior cases that that allowed for that. Here's what happened. Uh, Mrs. Smith had was a graphic designer and she wanted to start this website design company for weddings. Um, but she was afraid of this Colorado law that would uh, require her to perform her services for anybody and everybody regardless of whether uh, she wanted to or not. And so the the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act defined uh, places of public accommodation as any place of business engaged in any sales to the public in any place offering services, facilities, privileges, advantages, or accommodations to the public 
including but not limited to any business offering wholesale or retail sales to the public, any place to eat, drink, sleep, or rest, or any combination thereof, any sporting or recreational area and facility, any public transportation facility, a barber shop, bathhouse, swimming pool, bath, steam, or massage parlor, gymnasium, or other establishment conducted to serve the health, appearance, or physical condition of a person, a campsite or trailer camp, a dispensary, clinic, hospital, convalescent home, or other institution for the sick, ailing, aged, or infirm, mortuary, undertaker, parlor, or cemetery, educational institution, or public building, park, arena, theater, hall, auditorium, museum, library, exhibit, or public facility of any kind, whether indoor or outdoor. It said it is discriminatory practice and unlawful for a person directly or indirectly to refuse, withhold from, or deny to an individual or group because of disability, race, creed, color, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, marital status, national origin, or ancestry, the full and equal enjoyment of the goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, or accommodations of a place of public accommodation. So the the question was, does the, the creation of these websites, is that a public accommodation? And uh, would it be unlawful for her to discriminate? And what she wanted to do was uh, do graphic design and, and web wedding website services for those marriages that she approved of and not do those services for those marriages that she did not approve of. And so whether you think that's right or wrong is is not the question here. The question is, does it violate a person's freedom of speech to compel them to offer a service or a product if they don't want to? And, and what's uh, important to realize here is that this uh, woman believes that what she's creating is artistry, that she's an artist, and she's creating something custom. And it's not just like selling bottles of water or widgets or uh, basketballs or baskets of apples. It's something that she's creating from scratch, and that's going to be uh, completely unique. So she asked for the court, the Tenth Circuit Court, well, she asked for the district court to issue an injunction against the state of Colorado from enforcing that law. We'll talk more about it when we get back. You plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or MarquardtLawFirm.com. 930 AM. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt, helping you discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. We've been talking about the First Amendment, your freedom of speech. Should laws like the Colorado law compel us to do things? I'm very passionate about this subject because I value my liberty and my freedom. And I don't want to be compelled by the government to do things. Now, the the government is going to say they have a compelling interest in preventing discrimination. But at what cost? Remember, in the first part of our show, I talked about what it would take to make an exception to a constitutional right. 
to allow for your constitutional right to be discriminated against, uh, to be violated, the fir- first the government has to have um, compelling interest, and the pr- procedure, policy, or law has to be narrowly tailored to achieving that interest. And courts will strictly scrutinize the law, policy, or procedure. And so what Colorado has done is said that if you own a business, you cannot discriminate against your buyers. And the this lady who owns 303 Creative LLC wanted to establish a graphic design and website for weddings that she thought were appropriate and didn't want to do that service for weddings that she didn't agree with. And so the the district court denied her petition for an injunction to stop the state of Colorado from enforcing that law and penalizing her for refusing to uh, do wedding websites for uh, weddings that were not between one man and one woman. And she appealed to the Tenth Circuit Court, and the court acknowledged that Mrs. Smith's planned wedding website qualified as speech, pure speech, protected by the First Amendment. As a result, the court reasoned Colorado had to satisfy strict scrutiny before compelling speech from her that she did not wish to create. Under that standard, the court said the state had to show both that forcing Ms. Smith to create speech would serve a compelling government interest and that no less restrictive alternative exists to secure that interest. And the Tenth Circuit agreed with the district court. They denied that she her, her First Amendment right had been um, violated inappropriately. But there was a dissenting judge. The chief judge, Tim Kovich, dissented. He observed that ensuring access to a particular person's voice, expression, or artistic talent has never qualified as a compelling state interest. He said that the court should not depart from the precedents that have already gone before. He said if this continues, this approach would permit the government to regulate the message communicated by all artists, a result he called unprecedented. So this is the hidden legal issue blind spot that we need to watch out for. As business owners, as artists, we have to watch out for the municipal, state, and federal lawmakers trying to create laws that are going to infringe on our rights, that are going to compel us to run our business in a certain way. We don't want that. And so if a law is proposed that does this, please call your city council, your mayor, your state legislators, and your congressmen and senators and tell them you do not want them to pass that law. If we don't speak out, then others that do want these laws to be passed, that do believe that uh, preventing discrimination is a stronger interest than our constitutional rights, they will win. But if you want to keep your liberty and your freedom, then you need to fight for it by calling your legislators and letting them know how you feel. Artists and business owners alike should pay attention to the laws being proposed by municipal, state, and federal lawmakers. Artists and business owners should ask whether proposed laws with the goal of anti-discrimination increase liberty or freedom, or whether the proposed laws increase the power of the government to dictate the art you create or the way you run your business. So part of the court's discussion in this case was the type of product that she was making and whether she was discriminating against uh, people that didn't have the same views as her uh, or whether she would offer services to everybody. And, And the parties to this lawsuit at the district court level stipulated to certain facts. One, Ms. Smith was willing to work with all people 
regardless of classifications such as race, creed, sexual orientation, and gender, and she would gladly create custom graphics and websites for them of any sexual orientation. But she would not produce content that contradicted biblical truth, regardless of who orders it. So she's willing to work with all people, but she's not willing to work with all content. So you can see that there's a difference there, right? She would produce content that she believed in for all people, regardless of their behavior, but she didn't want to create content that she didn't believe with. And she said she believed that marriage was a union between one man and one woman. All of the graphic and website design services that she provides were expressive. The websites and graphics she designed were original, customized creations that contributed to the overall messages her business conveys through the websites. And so that's the distinction that that she wanted to make, uh, that, that she wasn't discriminating against people, she was discriminating against content that she didn't believe in. And so the the government tried to say that uh, her product, the creation of those websites or the creation of those designs, was just a product like a basket of apples that you could buy from anybody. But the this court, the, the Supreme Court, said no. She does not seek to sell an ordinary commercial good, but intends to create customized and tailored expressive speech for each couple to celebrate and promote the couple's wedding and unique love story. Miss Smith offers her speech for pay, and this was another argument of the the government that because she was selling her services, it wasn't anything special. But this court, this Supreme Court, said that many of the world's great works of literature and art were created with an expectation of compensation. And speakers do not shed their First Amendment protections by employing the corporate form to disseminate their speech. So she she gladly conducted business with those having protected characteristics so long as the custom graphics and websites she is asked to create do not violate her beliefs. Abiding the Constitution's commitment to the freedom of speech means we will encounter ideas that are misguided or even hurtful. So if if you don't like Mrs. Smith because she doesn't want to create those types of graphics, you have the right to say so. Nobody's going to stop you from your speech. And likewise, um, there are hate groups out there, and they have the right to say things in hatred. Uh, The only thing that you can't do is speak words that represent a clear and present danger. So back in 1919, the United States Supreme Court had to rule on the limits of free speech. This is the case of Shank versus the United States. And the question was whether somebody could um, say something that caused others to be in danger. And the, the most famous example of this is you can't yell fire in a crowded theater unless, of course, there is an actual fire, and then you might want to tell somebody about it. But that's, that's the lesson that we learned from this, is that there is a limit to free speech if you're causing a clear and present danger. We'll have to review that case some other time, but I did want to mention it before we run out of time. Oh, there was another case in Colorado. You might remember it. The wedding cake case. So what what I thought of when I was reminded about the wedding cake case is that Colorado is very aggressively trying to 
discourage discrimination. And I remembered learning about Adam Smith and the invisible hand of self-interest. Well, if you have a business that discriminates, they're not going to get money from the people that they're discriminating against. And so it might be harder for them to succeed as a business. And they might go out of business. So if there's more people seeking those services that don't want to be discriminated against, then they're going to win in the free market. Free market capitalism and freedom go together. They both contain the four-letter word free, F-R-E-E, freedom, free markets. And so that seems to be the hidden legal issue here. I just want to repeat that again because I run a business. I don't want the government telling me what to do. (laughs) I don't want the government telling you what to do. But if society, our neighbors, our community has preferences um, about businesses that don't discriminate, they're going to win. If society and the community around us has preferences that that disfavor uh, a certain group, that's unfortunate. But it freedom, I think, is the the principle, the value that we want to uphold, even if some mistakes are made. So, I wanted to thank you for joining me on this edition of Talk Law Radio. I've had an excellent time talking to you about these Supreme Court cases, especially the 14th Amendment, the Civil Rights Act, and also the First Amendment. Sorry we didn't get to all the Supreme Court cases, um, but we'll get to them soon. And I want to remind you that we have a new bonus episode that will be airing probably next week. Uh, You'll want to listen for it on Sunday at 4.30 in the afternoon or on podcasts everywhere. Talk to you later. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.